All right, so today is going to be a very interesting session because we have a convincing lawyer with us today and uh, we are very honoured to have Mr. Kenny Singh from BR Law with us. Welcome, Kenny. Thank you so much for appearing on uh, our show at uh, the Property Limb Brothers uh, podcast. So thank you once again. You're welcome. Yeah, so uh, probably, Kenny, um, you can uh, probably just, just give a brief introduction about yourself. Um, how long have you been doing law? And then um, a little bit about background, right? Okay, I'm a property lawyer with VR Law Corporation. I've been doing this for 10 years. Right. So um, after a while, you you get used to um, the various uh, matters which happens in property transactions. So right. I, I'm happy to be here to be sharing a lot of this knowledge. I've been doing convincing for 10 years. Right. And um, I was doing a little bit of other things in between, but right. basically convincing. Right. So yeah. mainly majoring in convincing. Yeah. Right. And uh, on average, maybe you can let us know, like, you know, for for your daily scope or your monthly scope, right? How many cases do you handle, like, on a monthly basis? On a monthly basis, um, right now I would say easily we handle around 100 to 200 cases. Right. Of buying and month. selling. Yes. Right. So, so definitely, you have seen like a lot of cases, a lot of different kinds of, um, um, different situations and stuff Correct. like that. Right. Okay. Great. Correct. And uh, first question is that um, when um buying a resale property, and uh, after paying the one percent option fee, because once we pay the one percent option fee, the deal is sealed technically. Yes. Right. And uh, before paying the one percent option fee, what are some of the good practice as a buyer? Uh, to look out for. I mean, what what should we? What should be the few things that you know we should check first before we put down the one percent option fee? Uh, some of this actually, your fortunately, your um, your property agent will, <laughs> will, will 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 actually um, cover a lot of this for you already. Right. Um. So one of it is um, who are you paying that one percent to? Right. Right. Okay. That that I think is uh, and I believe it is part of industry practice. Right whereby um, your agent will show you some evidence that, hey, this is the property tax. Right. Or they will do a, in this title search. Right. Show, okay, this is really the owner. Right. Um, so when you issue this 1% check to this name, right. you are safe. It's, it's not some other person right. Um, right. that is um, selling this property. Right. So that, that, I think, is the first part. And the second part is that because all of the contracts for purchasers are always geared towards um, caveat emptor, buyer beware. Right. Okay. And also as is whereas all this basically means is that you buy the property as it is, where it is. And right. if there is anything that breaks or leaks, too bad. Right. Okay. You might not see the termite nest, but it is taken under the law that after you have signed off on the option to purchase, you will know about it and you accept it as it is. Right. So it's very important that um, you you are willing to accept the state and condition of this property. Right. Um, it's a resale property. Precisely. Right. It's, not, it's not a brand new from developer. There's Correct. no defect liabilities and stuff. Correct. Right. And, and that has to be done. Um, that means to your satisfaction, uh, you have to look at the property. You have to Correct. be willing to accept that as KVM Tor before you even pay the 1%. Before. Right. Because once the there's an exchange of the 1% with the signed OTB by the seller, it's a done deal. <laughs> Right. Correct. And um, we sometimes get this kind of question, you know, like mm. um, sometimes when a buyer, they, mm -hmm. they write off the 1% check to their own representing buyer's agent. Mm -hmm. 
And the buyers, they, they, they give an instruction to them and say, hey, okay, I, I agree. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I agree to the price after negotiation verbally with the seller. And now I'm writing a 1% check. And then the buyer agent delivers the check and then exchanges for the OTP. Correct. And coming back, if um, before the check is even banked in, yes. and the buyer changes their mind, but the exercise OTP is already given to their buyer's agent, uh-huh. can they still back out from the deal? Okay. Um, so long as as the buyer, you have the signed option to purchase um, in front of you or in your agent's hands, the seller is bound. Right. Yeah. And you are bound as well. Mm. Right. Correct. And um, as a buyer, are they allowed to stop the check? As the buyer, um, what can happen? Um, th- this is uh, a balancing of um, what is the law and what is practical. Right. So if let's say the um, buyer, let's say you are the seller, you receive the 1% check, what happens from there? Um, suddenly the buyer doesn't want to buy the property. Right. And you bank in the check and it doesn't clear. What right. are, is your legal recourse? Um, you can technically sue um, the buyer, okay, for at the very minimum, the 1% back. Right. Because it's quite clear law that if I give you a check and the check is dishonored, then what will happen is that um, you can sue based on that. Um, but there is a very strict timeline that 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 once that follows once you present the check and the check is dishonored. Right. So 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 that that is um it's within like days. Right. Yeah. So if you bank in the check, right, you must quickly prove that the check hasn't cleared. Right. And submit all of this as evidence to your lawyer right. for them to initiate uh, legal proceedings. Right. Yeah. Right. To claim back from the buyer. Correct. Right. And um, actually, but, in, the, mm. in the eyes of law, the buyer's agent, mm. technically um, being instructed the buyer to deliver the check, they, they actually mm-hmm. have have that same kind of... Um, they are, they're basically an advocate of, of the buyer, right? Correct. Right. And, um, the representative. Their representative. Yes. So, so when they exchange it and then they collect the exercise OTP on their way back, Correct. technically the deal is done, right? Yes. Right, right. So I, I think as a buyer, the important thing is that um, make sure that you're very clear that you want to buy this property Correct. before you even write the 1%. Yes, because, absolutely. Because I mean, within the next 24 hours, if you have any remorse, you want to recall back, technically it's, it's, it's not possible. You set yourself into Correct. a legal kind of binding stuff. And similarly, there's the if there's seller's remorse, right? Because we 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 see that also, right? Um, so generally, once you have signed off on the option, right? Um, as a seller, you have to continue on with that deal, right? Okay. Um, it doesn't help if you so called, but but I didn't bank in your check, right? <laughs> but you signed on the OTP. <laughs> yeah. So long as you have signed on the option, um, is that you're bound? You're bound. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, great. I think I think that answers a lot. And end of the day, I think it's still a willing seller and willing buyer kind Correct. of thing. And everybody wants to buy and sell their properties in a in a very fruitful and happy Correct. manner. Right. Right. So um I think the next question will then be um of course uh the best way, I mean the mm. best way as a buyer to mm. to ensure that the size and the square footage of the property uh definitely will be via the enlist mm. uh, SLA check. With the Singapore Land Authority. Is, is there any other manner of uh, verifying the size and stuff like that? Virtually none. Right. Um, one of the things that we would flag out is that on occasion, 
um, let's say if you are uh, uh, this this diverges a bit, right? Um, for let's say some of the shop houses, right, or some of the landed properties and things like that. That's right. Okay. Um, it's 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 always taken that um Inlist will give you what is the certified land area, right? But then sometimes um some of the response that we get, right, um is that hey um lo- um because for whatever purposes. I sent in my um, people right. to to check and measure the area and they measure the area for the purposes of renovation. Right. And it told me that it's not this area. Right. So um this usually only happens um if if it happens like because in this is really very accurate. Right. It's based um, on the land title. Correct. Right. Um we have only um witnessed one or two instances whereby it's things like shop houses. Right. Whereby there was this discrepancy and some of this discrepancy might uh, be because of the fact that um, some of these common corridors and whatnot, okay, might have been moved, okay, right. might be included in the area count and things like that. Right, right. Yeah. right. But for private property, for standard property, strata, strata is almost it's basically unheard of. Right, strata. Right. It's, it's usually yeah, very accurate. Correct. Right. Yeah. So these are the two exceptions that I just want to flag up. Okay. Great. Great. And um, uh, there again, of course, the best mm. way will be to purchase of uh, SLA website Correct. to get the in-lease Correct. so that you know the exact size of the property mm-hmm. that you're buying. And um, how about, um, you know, usually buyers will have this question, you know, uh, when they buy a property in the midway uh-huh. and they will receive actually a letter from SLA and they say, that, hey, somebody actually, you know, there's a caveat lodge, yes. right? So uh, maybe Candice can, can, can explain in a very simple form um, for our audience. Like what, what does it mean when a caveat is lodged? Okay. Um, a caveat, it's sort of like a, a choke on the unit. Right. You know, um, so it's a notice to the world at large to that, that you are buying this property. Right. But what is um, additionally very common and, and there is always, almost always um, no need to worry about it is because let's say after you have bought this property and then um, because you're the buyer, I've lodged a buyer's caveat for you on this property. What happens thereafter is that you suddenly receive a letter from SLA, right? Okay, notifying you that somebody has lodged a caveat, right, on this property. So, right. so it's it's a very official looking letter, right? Okay, and then um, they they say in very official words that please contact your lawyer, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, right. Or, um, to inquire about this matter, right? So, what happens is that um because I would say easily ninety percent of uh, purchases will also take on a bank loan. Mm. So when you take on a bank loan, we also have to lodge a further caveat. Right. Um, the bank lodging for the a bank. caveat. Right. Yeah. Right. Because so, they, they loan you money to buy correct. the property. Right. So um, generally there isn't any need to um, have concern. It's because if you look closely, you'll realize that, hey, this other caveat is lodged by, um, you know, right. the law firm acting for you in the purchase right. for the bank. Right. Yeah, right. but usually we first see that first official letter and we're like, call the lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> right. So actually, if you receive the SLA letter saying that a cover has been lodged, mm-hmm. uh, no action is needed. Basically, it's just Precisely. To, to, for your reference. Yeah, uh, but, but look closely la, right. because it, you could be the 99, you, you know, you could be the 0.001% of cases whereby, right. you know, <laughs> somebody, somebody, is, uh, right. somebody is contesting it right. or, you know, some nefarious actual nefarious practice of, you know, um, somebody has, this property has been sold to 
A and B and C at the same time. At the same time. Right. Yeah. Right. So right. just just look a bit closely, examine it a bit closely to you see know, who lodged the. To see who lodged the. Right. Make sure your name is on it. Correct. Right. Correct. Right. Okay. Great. So, uh, as a buyer's point of view, when you buy a property, naturally. Um, you will be the person that lodge a caveat against the unit. And yes. Of course, your your bank that you are taking the loan from will also lodge a caveat yes. against the unit, right? Correct. Okay, great. So uh, that's, that's great information because most of the buyers and sellers will be alarmed sometimes. Hey, you know, hey, why did I receive this letter and stuff like that? Okay, so um, we also have another question um, relating to purchase. And mm. I, I think this question has been very common uh, because nowadays with ABSD in place, Correct. Uh, a lot of... Um, sellers they are currently selling their place they, mm-hmm. they want to make sure that their place is sold and um, sold mm-hmm. to a buyer who have successfully exercised the option for their current home before they feel safe to actually put down the option for the next home because right. especially in uh, this kind of flow the main objective mm-hmm. is that you do not have to pay ABSD on the next property mm-hmm. right so um, just to give you a bit of backdrop so let's say if you're selling your current property at the same time you're concurrently looking for your next property uh, in order not to pay the ABSD of 12%, you have to ensure that you have successfully sold your place to a buyer, buying your place, and that buyer must have exercised the option. Right? That's correct. Yeah, and because when you um, proceed to buy your next property and you make an appointment with a law firm for the purchase side, they will actually ask you for the exercise OTP of your current property to prove that you have actually sold the place. Yeah, if not, you have to pay the twelve percent mm-hmm. ABSD. Okay, so the question comes here: What yes. if, what if, you know, you are doing a concurrent selling and buying? The selling part, um, you have received. You are selling a private property. You are buying a bigger private pro- property. You have you have received one percent. Your law firm has received four percent, and then there's a twelve week completion here. Correct. And then you went ahead and buy a private property Correct. resale. You pay one percent. You exercise four percent, and there's also a twelve week here. But in between, something happens for this deal. Right. right, and then uh, let's say the buyer cannot complete uh-huh. due to several reason, um, they backed out or whatever it is. Uh, what is going to happen here? Do you then have to back pay your ABSD? Okay, straightforward answer. Um, all of this comes from IRAS. Simple answer is yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, simple answer is yes. Right. Um, and the next question that logically comes up is, what can you do? Yes. Um, from there. Right. So, um. Uh, it's it's a very messy sort of scenario, right? Um, so theoretically, okay, um, you can go back to the, uh, to the person who bought this unit that you were selling, right? Your, your okay. this 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 property, right? Okay. okay, the buyer that backed up, correct? Okay, correct. And theoretically, la, you can say, hey, look, you have caused me this amount of, of loss because right. of what you did, right? I'm going to ask you back for this whole amount of money, in theory, okay? In theory, as in, in you, theory. Can, you can ask them for the ABSD. Yes. Right, okay. okay. In theory, you can claim this as loss. Suit. Yes. Right, okay. But um, practically speaking, um, it usually doesn't happen. Right. Practically speaking, because um, I, suing people costs money. Right. Okay. It's not like suits or <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kenny's watched the, sh- the show as well uh, on Netflix, Suits. Yeah. So if you have not watched it, it's a, it's a show about the life of lawyers and stuff like that. All right. If only life was like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Please continue. And then yeah. Yeah, practically, um, so, it's so, going to cause a lot. Yeah. Practically, right. it doesn't. Um, 
it doesn't usually doesn't work out even if it's for a large sum of money because um, the entire litigation process um, it, it starts with something called a writ of summons okay right. whereby you summon both sides to to basically discuss this um, this matter right before the judge right um, but the entire process is very time consuming right okay um, the other side can always drag out the process right okay and um, it can take a long time and all of that requires money right and even if you win okay there is the next stage you, you when, when you win you think that's it right the process is has ended I'm going to get my money right then that's where your lawyers will tell you ah there's this something called enforcement proceedings right which means that if he is not good for that hundred thousand or two hundred thousand right that you have successfully managed to sue him for right you still are getting nothing right so 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 that's 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 part of the process so what usually people stop at is um i take that five percent right okay i forfeit your five percent mm. i make vague legal threats right <laughs> okay um which usually will not be substantiated and then thereafter you try and mitigate the circumstances right. Right. but usually what will practically happen in those type of circumstances that right. you described is that um, the first sale will fall through. Right. Okay. And then um, the 5% will be forfeited. Right. And then after that, on the other uh, purchase, purchase right. okay, that you're making, um, usually the other side will also retain the right to forfeit that 5% that you have paid. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, if, if that is the sort of situation, Understand. the practical side of it is tough luck. Right, so yeah. unless mm. um, you're willing to go ahead with the purchase and pay the ABSD, you pay the ABSD and then you take that six months to Correct. to quickly sell your property and find another buyer mm. and, and you forfeit that 5% and you move on. Correct. Right. That's, that's the alternative way. Correct. Right, and um, usually uh, when this kind of situation occurs, mm. because uh, you have already submitted your exercise OTB, Correct. but now that deal is now void. Correct. It's, it's being made now. Correct. Um, you should, I mean, as your as your own responsibility, inform your law firm because sooner or later, mm. um, the I mean, IRAs definitely will find out and, and stuff like that, right? Correct. Yeah. So uh, usually, like, what is the timeline? You know, like the moment you found out, I mean, you gotta quickly inform your law firm and, and stuff like that. Or yeah, usually, what's your advice? Um. Okay. I in these type of instances, right? Um, you can. I. I. It, it's not. Okay, because uh, the law on, on it in relation to IRAS is that IRAS has the right to impose up to a penalty of four times right. of whatever amount is owed. Right. Okay, so um, in these type of circumstances, um, in, in that precise scenario that you described, right. um, usually what will happen is that um, IRAS, if you are going to back up from the purchase, right. IRAS will give you time and they will even refund you back, okay, any initial stamp duty you that paid. you have paid. Right. Okay. Right. So they will not penalize you on top of that. Right. right. But if it is a case of you are continuing with the purchase, right. Um, IRAS will charge you some uh, late interest. Right. Okay. On on, on this. Right. Okay. And what will happen is that you'll need to top up the stamp duty. Okay. Twelve percent. Okay. The twelve percent. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And pay that um period of so-called late interest. I see. And because that, technically you have mm. not sold your property in a sense. Correct. I see. Unless you appeal and then you case by case basis. Correct. 
Okay, got it. Great. Yeah, I, th- I think that's great information because yeah. especially at, at times like this mm-hmm. with the ABSD impose, right. there's also a LTV limitation if you're doing mm-hmm. selling and buying. A lot of people definitely wants to make sure that their place is properly sold mm-hmm. and exercised before purchasing. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think these are probably scenarios that a lot of people will find out. Now, the next um, mm. question is that um, what happens is that um, let's say if let's say if you are a buyer, and mm-hmm. then you, you buy a property, you pay the 1%, mm-hmm. you pay the 4%, you pay the same duty, and then halfway, halfway mm-hmm. into the completion phase, uh-huh. suddenly the seller do not want to complete the deal. I mean, what is that, what, uh, what, what is your 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 recourse as a buyer? Okay. Right? That um, you are in a much better position. Okay. Okay, your lawyer will be very happy also. <laughs> okay, why, why is that so? Okay, especially right. if they have a litigation department. Is because in those circumstances, you can, um, you when you are the buyer, right. you can complete the process. I see. Okay, the seller might say, I don't want to sign off on anything. Right. Okay, they can make whatever allegation that they want. Okay, but for, um, because sometimes um, law is not clear cut. Right. But in those, in that particular instance that you mentioned, right, the law is very clear cut. Okay. All that happens is that I go to court, Okay, I ask for an order of specific performance right. to complete this purchase. Right. Okay. Um, the court will sign on. Will, will either give an order. Right. Okay. Saying that the registrar um will sign on behalf. Right. Okay. Of the seller. Right. To complete this transaction. Right. It's a very clear cut process. Right. And always, what happens is that the seller lawyer will know that it is a very clear cut process. process there is virtually zero chance of of resisting right okay such a such a matter right because the, the seller mm. has has agreed as uh, a bank the one percent four percent has been paid stamp duty has been paid and stuff right so so it's like almost hundred percent the buyer will win yes right understand so this is the part that you said is very clear cut yes right okay and that's how the law protects the buying of properties Correct. in Singapore okay great and um how about I think relating to the caveat and talk clause, right? Yes. As is where is conditioned and stuff like that. You know, when, when buying a property, especially a resale property, um, because prior property is is very it's a very simple mm-hmm. uh, process. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, very thankful we're in Singapore where our law is strong, mm-hmm. right? And when we buy a property, there's there's confidence in buying because Correct. the law protects uh, mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes, you know, we have heard cases, I mean, we've been doing property for 14 years. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. we've heard cases like, you know, when a buyer takes over a property, mm-hmm. uh, resale property, and then when they, they, they go to their law firm and collect the keys, because technically after you pay the 1%, the 4% is being paid at the law firm. Mm-hmm. And after which, uh, usually, uh, if you do not arrange for any appointment to mm-hmm. take measurement, bring your contractors, you, you, mm-hmm. don't, you don't really get to see the property. Correct. Right? Right. So you collect the keys on the completion day at your own law firm. Yes. And after that, you head to your new place or one other place. And sometimes they say, hey, the icon is gone. You know, like uh, some of the sellers has removed the fittings and the fixtures sound. Uh-huh. You know, the oven is gone and stuff like that. Right. right. So uh, usually when this kind of things happens, uh, two questions. What can be done as a buyer? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, with the buyer's age, representing agent to protect themselves. Number two is that what is the mode of recourse? Okay. The buyer's point of view. Um. Right. W- once again, you you hear this phrase from me, um, very often. Balancing. Um, what, yeah. That <laughs> what is the legal? What right. is your legal rights? And what is the practical um recourse? Right. Um. So 
uh, the law is actually also quite clear. Right. So if you remove fixtures right. from the place, right. the buyer must agree. Right. And fixtures are basically anything that's bolted down. Right. Okay. You cannot remove if you cannot remove it without a screwdriver, it's a fixture. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so so basically that's 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 the uh, legal stance on it. So um, but the practical side of it, for some um, buyers, you might very much oh I I'm I'm going to tear down everything anyway right you know so if that's the case for you practically speaking it might not be of any concern right okay but if you're if how should i put this you purchase this property on on the pretext that okay or on the assumption i wouldn't say the pretext the assumption that it's very well fitted i can just literally move my suitcase in right and immediately start staying and then you know it doesn't happen right um, when you actually move, get the keys, right. then um, that's when you can have recourse. Right. Yeah. Right. But um, but then once again, it's about cost. Right. Um, is it going to be worth your while um, to pursue it? To to pursue this. Right. Because my my favorite phrase is, um, sure you have, you absolutely have legal rights. Right. In this matter. Right. But do you want to pay me three thousand to get back three hundred dollars for you? I'm fine with that. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but you have to make a, a judgment call right. whether you are fine with, with with undergoing such a such a process. Right. Because it is mm. it will be then a separate kind of representation mm-hmm. apart from the convincing process. Correct. Right. To seek for recourse and stuff. Correct. Okay, right. So um in knowing this, in knowing mm. this, right, that what could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the best practices uh, before putting down the one percent? I mean, usually we advise our buyers that uh, when we represent our buyers, we will mm-hmm. we will uh, do a, a inventory list. We will request for Correct. an inventory list Correct. Uh, from the seller or the seller's agent Correct. just to note down what are the fixtures, how many aircons mm-hmm. are there, how many wardrobes mm-hmm. are there, kitchen cabinets, oven, and cooker hood and stuff like that. Correct. So uh, probably taking some photographs and stuff mm-hmm. like that at the, with the seller's permission. So what are kind of best practices? I mean, would you advise like buyers when when buying resale um, properties? Um, I I think you 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 do uh, a fair amount of HDB cases also, right. so I think I'll actually be referencing some of the practices, right? Um, and we, which make a lot of sense, but right. um, sometimes it doesn't happen for private property, right? Um, so for example, um, having maybe a, a viewing, mm. okay, um, two or three days before the matter completes, right? Just to assess, um, the 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 situation of the property, right? Um, that would be actually be a very good practice. Right. That means to, to request mm. for um, just a final inspection Correct. or something. Before, but, mm. right. but it will be important because um, if this request is not being put forth at the offer stage, yes. the seller has the right to reject, right? Correct. Yeah. So so usually I think it will be good to indicate in your offer to purchase letter. Precisely. And request mm-hmm. for it to be indicated into the OTP itself. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Because so. it, it's not as of it's not a right. Right. Okay, it is a uh, <laughs> it is a, a, a hope. Right, know. right. So it's, yeah. it's better to be black and white. With, Correct. Right, right. So uh, asking for a final mm. completion by indicating down in the OTP mm-hmm. it will definitely help. Right. Correct. So, so you, I mean, your recommendation is about two to three days before completion. So at least yes. you can sign out to your law firm. Correct. Right. Okay. Good. And and the, the 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 limitation that we as the lawyers always have is that if it is stated within the option. Right. We can t- 
tell the other side, hey, it's data with no option. Uh, you have no choice. Right. Um, if, um, but in most cases, um, this inspection clause will not be um, found anywhere within your standard option. Right. Yeah. So right. that will be the limitation. Right. That so will you be have struggling to intentionally against. discuss with the seller. Correct. And, right. And okay. then also sometimes it's not out of malice because sometimes the seller will also be, um, hey, I, I'm I'm busy or, <laughs> I mean you. you right. You, it's <laughs> common. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or what if suddenly they they raise some allegations that this should be here or this should be there. Then, then I, I, I'm bringing trouble onto myself. Right. So right. It, ideally, all of this, if it can be worked out at the start, lah. Right. Yeah, right. But, but of course, that's easier said than done, lah. Right, 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 right. So it's all, it's all mm. part of the negotiation, and mm-hmm. of course, uh, from the seller's point of view, is that you know sometimes sellers also hear horror stories, right? Yes. Sellers also are worried because when sellers sell a private property, sometimes they're worried. You know, the buyers request for a final inspection one to two days before that. Correct. And then they are they heard horror stories like the buyers start to pick on things, you know, yes. like saying, Hey, you know, there's this, there's that, there's then they, they want to delay completion and stuff. So Correct. uh I think end of the day is is important. Communication is important, yes. which is before the one percent is paid, uh you have any kind mm-hmm. of doubts and concerns. I think it's it's important that you put out during the negotiation phase so that the whole transaction becomes Correct. smoother in the sense. Correct. Right. And 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 one other thing I think I want to use this opportunity to since we're talking about this stage, to flag out is that part of because your lawyers generally want to complete the matter. Right. Okay. Um they because they've got other stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So no, but but um part of it is because um any conveyance is is a matter of timelines of everything else um happening at this stage. Right. You know, your CPF, your redemption. A lot of things are supposed to happen at this date and no other date. Every dollar and cents counted to yes. the dot, right? Correct. Right. Um, so what happens sometimes is that um things happen, people want to change the date in which they want to complete this matter. Right. So it's like, come on, it's a simple request. I just want to change the completion date by three days or by one week. Right. <laughs> then, then that's when we saw like, oh my goodness. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. but all the calculations would then have to be recalculated. Yeah, and stuff. recalculated. Inform the bank and inform CPF board and stuff like that. Correct. Right, right. So, so, so that, that, that I think is, is part of what, um, the, the substance of what we have to deal with. Okay. And, and, and yeah. And so. <laughs> right, right. So, so I, I think what, what Candice mm-hmm. is saying is that all parties are motivated to complete, to, to the, complete the matter. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, so uh, I think we have answered some great questions uh, pertaining to, to buying a property. Mm-hmm. Now, um, from this seller's point of view, from a seller's point of view, mm. uh, I think just now we have cross-answered a little bit about the seller's Correct. question as well. Uh, I think one, one very important uh, thing that a lot of people uh, have overlooked is the mm. seller's stamp duty Correct. when they come to selling mm. a property because... Uh, yes, although now the seller's stamp duty has been reduced to three years. Correct. If you if you buy after a specific date and month in 2017. Uh, but of course, this will be the last year that some sellers will still be uh, within that four-year seller's mm-hmm. stamp duty thing. So mm-hmm. sometimes when um, some sellers want to sell their property mm-hmm. and they sold it successfully uh, within the seller's stamp duty period, mm-hmm. uh, whether they have to pay the 4% or the 8%, uh, this uh, seller's stamp duty actually has to be paid the moment that the buyer exercised the option. Am I right to say? 
within 14 days. Within 14 days, right? Same like yeah. your any stamp duty. Right. And mm. as a seller's point of view, it's different because uh, technically, you only get all your proceeds at completion. Yes. Right. But you receive the 1%, uh -huh. the 4% is paid to your law firm. Uh, Correct. And they are your stakeholders, CBY right. account. And then within 14 days, you have to pay the seller's stamp duty. So yes. it, it could be 4%. If it's like two million, it's, it's going to be eighty thousand. Correct. If it's eight percent, it's going to be hundred and sixty thousand, and that has to be paid in cash. Correct. Right. And by that time, probably your funds is only coming out in another like eight to twelve weeks time. Correct. Yeah. So this is something that I think a lot of sellers has overlooked. Right. Correct. So in in regards to this, um, well, what are some of the common like practices? You know, like um. Uh, what if the seller fail to pay this? You know, mm -hmm. what's going to happen to them? Okay. Right. Um, they cannot complete the transaction. All right. Yeah. Right. Um, if seller's stamp duty is not paid, right. and we know that it needs to be paid, right. the transaction cannot be completed. Right. Okay. So um, ideally, this is spotted at the start of the transaction. Right. So what usually um, you do is that you try to negotiate for the first for example, let's say it's only 4%. Right. Okay, because it's um, 12, 8, 4. So, right. and, and hey, 4% of exercise monies. And usually when you are selling, even when you are, when we are in, a, in a push to sell it, usually it's um, in that last year. Right. So what some um, parties do is that they negotiate for this 4% to be directly paid to the Commissioner of Stamp Duties. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, right. so that so within your option, you can actually um, amend your option to specifically state that pay this four percent payable made payable to the commissioner of stamp duties rather than then, uh, your law firm than the law firm dash or CBY account correct right okay so and this uh, this can be contracted for this can be contracted for yes. okay and and that brings us to another question um, pertaining back to the buyer yep. side because sometimes uh, when buyers buy a property mm -hmm. in the resale market. Correct. And uh, during the negotiation, actually the seller will then request uh, of, of course, uh, in, in terms of good faith, yes. it's a genuine matter because mm -hmm. some sellers, they are also in the midst of selling and buying a property. Correct. And sometimes they need that uh, one and 4% to be paid Correct. to them so that they have this to Correct. be down pay. What is the risk? Yeah, so <laughs> some sellers mm. will, will then request for the 1% naturally is is by market practice to be paid mm -hmm. to the seller's name, 4% to the seller's law firm dash CVY account. Right. Some sellers will request for that 4% to be paid directly to their name. Mm. Right? So um, as a buyer's point of view, mm -hmm. and uh, of course, in terms of your advice to sellers, mm -hmm. uh, is that widely practiced in the market? What are the risks and the pitfalls and what are things that the buyer and seller have to look out for? Okay. Right. Um, the the standard industry practice is actually you pay this to the law firm's convincing account. Right. Um, that's that's industry practice. Um, but once again, if there are special circumstances and you can agree on it, then carry on. So, what is the risk to um the buyer? Right. Okay. If you immediately issue all of these monies direct in favor of the seller. Right. Or even to stamp duty or, or, or whatnot. Right. Okay. Um, the theoretical risk is that what if it is something called a negative sale? Right. Okay. In the event of a negative sale, it's very bad. Okay. Okay. 
because <laughs> it is a it could be a potentially a situation of um, let's say you have contracted to buy this property for one million. Right. Okay. So at completion, okay, um, the seller will tell you, look, okay, I owe um one point two million. Okay. Right. I owe one point two million to CPF board and the bank combined. Right. Okay. <laughs> so 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 the five percent that you have paid to me, thank you. Right. Right. Because at completion, <laughs> the seller's law firm will actually ask the seller to vomit out the five percent. Correct. Right. So, so that to complete the accounts. Correct. Right? And uh, if they can't do that, then the deal cannot be completed. Correct. Right. And then it will, will the whole case be stuck in a limbo? And Sorry, it will be stuck in a limbo. Right. So if you are the buyer, it's like, oh goodness, okay, I've, um, because as a buyer, you, you, have, you have also signed contracts. Right. You have signed contracts with the bank right. to borrow a certain X amount of money. Right. And so um, you have contracted to buy this place at 1 million. Right. So being told that, um, do you want to pay for him another 100,000 or 50,000? Right. Usually will not exactly be on the cards. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So, but that might be a practical situation um, that might arise if if you are basically um, buying a, you know, right. a, 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 a property, okay, that basically owes more money than than it's being sold for. Right. Right. So, so, so the the tricky part will be when it is a negative sale. Negative sale. Correct. You're unaware of. Correct. And um, you actually agree to pay this 5% directly to the seller. So the potential risk is that you might be stuck in the limbo situation. Correct. Right. So, so your advice is that at the best circumstances not to do that correct. as a buyer. And But but always, I mean similarly, to, to switch it around on the other foot, okay, right. what can you, if you're the seller and you want this, right. um, what reassurance can you give to the buyer? Right. So usually what you do is that... Um, you show them evidence that look, I only owe. Let's say it's we use the one million example again. Right. Okay. I only owe the banks on this five hundred thousand. See, this is the right. um, loan amount with right. the bank. Okay. I only owe CPF board in relation to this property two hundred thousand. Oh, two hundred thousand. Right. So it's I, very safe. Right. Yeah. So I'm gonna get like three hundred thousand cash. Correct. Right. And this five percent that you pay me in advance first, definitely you will be honored. And Correct. Stuff, right. Because they they don't have to vomit it out during completion right okay great so that, that's some, there's some practices that the seller mm. can actually do to reassure the buyers correct and stuff. right okay great um and uh what if uh i think i think we have already answered you know like if the buyers pays agree to pay the one percent check and mm-hmm. then they didn't order you can actually recourse it correct. as a seller because the law also protects the seller in this in this manner for for that very short period <laughs> of time so so if <laughs> let's say you are selling your property you receive a one percent check and then you bank it in, the next day you realize that it is not honored, you have to immediately take action, on take it. action inform your law firm yes. so that they can seek for recourse Correct. ASAP, right? Correct. Okay. So, and then you mentioned the time frame is usually days, days <laughs> a few days, right? Yes, Probably one days. to three days. Correct. Okay, great. Now, uh, I think um, Kenneth has helped us with a lot of questions regarding to the buying and selling. And these are really technical questions, but these are great because it covers a lot of blind spots, especially when we are doing selling and purchasing and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And I think what we're really interested in is also, uh, in, I mean, in recent years, a lot of property buyers, uh, because of ABSD and all that, they have uh, started to use uh, this this trust kind of concept mm-hmm. to purchase properties, uh, so-called under their children's name, and then 
when their children turns 21 years old, the property is like a gift to the kids, right? Correct. Yeah, so we just want to understand a little bit more about buying properties in trust. Okay. And, uh, what are some of the pros and cons? And there's some questions here and mm. there, you know, like, can you take a loan and stuff like that? So probably I'll, I'll just kick start with, sure. with the first question is that uh, when, let's say somebody have a couple, they already have like two properties, yes. right? One in each name. And then they have two children. They mm-hmm. are both below 21. Mm-hmm. Let's say the kids are like 10 years old and uh, three years old, correct? Right. 10 and three. And they decided to buy property under the 10 year old child correct um this child will be named as the beneficiary yes and then the parents will be named as the trustee correct right can they take a loan on this property let's say the property is one million dollars uh-huh. yeah can they take a loan no they can't. so it has to be full cash it has to be full cash okay so full payment uh for the child in cash you can't even use cpf no <laughs> cpf no loan is full cash yes right okay great that's the first question now the second question is that when they buy this property, let's say now we're year 2020. Correct. They buy this property under the 10-year-old son. When can they sell the property? Okay. Um, I'll, I'll be frank on this point, okay? Right. Because there are two different schools of thought right. on this. Um, one school of thought says that only after the, the child turns 21, then you can sell this property. Right. Okay. I don't quite agree because I don't quite understand right. okay, that, that, that school of thought at all. Right. Um, my school of thought, which I sort of follow along with um, and, and practice, is basically five years. Right. And how do I derive this um, application? Right. Okay. Um, simply put, because of the application of Singapore's bankruptcy laws. Right. So what it does is that um, all of these trust transactions are in a way... In a way uh, quasi gift transactions. Right. So how it works is that if within five years, if um you know one of the trustees who created this trust goes right. broke, right. Technically, the entire transaction can be unwound. Right. So okay. so there is this five unwound year, meaning like that means the creditors can say no no this this transaction this gift transaction that you have done this trust that you have created is not valid. I'm gonna use the money. Yeah, to, to pay me as right. your creditor. Right, right, right. I see. So because of this, uh, the usual minimum time frame... To us, is five years. You had to hold on to that, mm. that trust account, that property. That property for five years. For five years. Then you can sell. Correct. Okay, what happens to the money after you sell it? Does it go back into the trust account or will it go back to the trustee? Okay. Um, this, once again, um, it... it, it, it it's very much uh, uh, what is the legal position. Right. Okay. Um, because practically, I can't control what you do thereafter. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. So the legal position is that um, all of these are irrevocable trust right. instruments. Right. So what it means is that theoretically, even if you sell this property, right. it should flow back to the trust fund. Right. Okay. And be used for the benefit and welfare of the child. Right. Okay. Right. So that means after you mm. sell the property, Correct. the money goes back to this special account called the trust fund account. Yes. And the the beneficiary can have access, full access and rights to it when they turn 21. Yes. And uh, during this period, mm. I mean like as a parent, am I able to use the money? Oh, I can't use it. I can't touch it. It's locked. Okay. Um, 
generally it depends on how your trust deed is drafted. Right. Okay. And two, um, theoretically, do you think your child is going to give you any issues down the road? Okay. okay. Um, once again, um, there is not a lot of law on this. Right. Okay. Um, because the incidence of 21-year-old um, beneficiaries gathering a legal team to sue their parents, <laughs> uh, somewhat small. <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. Right now, zero. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Um, so generally, um, how we draft our trustees is in relation to the fact that you have certain powers, mm. okay, to deal with all of these trust monies, right. okay, for the benefit and welfare of the child. Right, right. Okay. Um, the, the theory is that um, the only one who can theoretically hold you to account right, um, right now as of law is your child. Is, is your child. Oh, I see. Okay. It's, it's because it's, it's like an agreement between the trustee and the beneficiary. Correct. Right, understand. So if your child says, please give me an account of how you have spent this 1.2 million after you <laughs> saw this property, theoretically you have to give them at that account. Right, right, <laughs> okay? right. Of, right, of right. how you have... Um, spend this 1.2 million. Right. But what we always, um, so so usually the clients, when they hear this, they get a bit alarmed. But then that's when you usually quip to them that you do realize that bringing <laughs> a child up to 21 is at least a million dollars <laughs> as of fact. <laughs> right, 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 right. understand. Okay, great. So uh, technically, you as a trustee, you have access to that account. Yes. And uh, you can use it to uh, so-called like uh, run the let's say if you rent out the property and Correct. stuff like that, you run expenses and things Correct. like that, right? So, how about the rental money? The, theoretically, it has to go back to that account yes. as well. The rental income, and things like that. Okay, great, got it. And um, what are some of the uh, important things that you know that the trustee has to take note of, other than the five years, other mm -hmm. than the fact that. Uh, if you were to hold to that property all the way until mm. your child turns twenty one, the property. Uh, goes directly to your child. Uh, what are some of the probably like your advice usually to mm. to parents and, and things like that using this facility? Okay, um, it it depends on the individual, right? To to a large extent, um, because some um enter this arrangement with a strict view to, I'm going to sell it within um five years, right? Okay. Then thereafter that, I'm going to use it for the benefit and welfare of my child. Right. Okay. Be it university education or whatever it is. Mm. Um, so that is one of the strategies. Right. So um, sometimes for others, it is, um, I'm just going to um, sell off everything. Right. And then thereafter that, I'm going to reinvest. Right. Buy another okay, property. Buy another property. Right. So, right. so it really depends on the individual. Right. How, how, they, how they deal with it. Right. What's your goal yeah. and your objective correct, and correct. stuff? Okay. So I think it's always very important to be very clear about what is your goal and your objective. Right. Yeah, before right. you um, proceed. Right. Understand. Yeah. Okay, great. And um, yeah, I, I think that that would definitely help answer a lot of questions about using trust as a yeah. procedure. I think end of the day, the, the main objective is really to... Mm -hmm. To to use this as a gift for your your kids, right? Correct. For to leave it's like part of legacy planning. It's a legacy planning and, and, and all leave that. something good for them. Correct. Right. Okay. Great. And uh, actually, we we still have a lot of questions regarding the property transactions, but I, I think today's session is really great, and uh, we have answered um, key questions about buying, selling, about trust, and uh, we actually love to have Kenny's back on our Property Brothers podcast because. 
Uh, we have further other questions as well. We also have questions re relating to rental uh, kind of transactions, uh, some uh, common legalities between landlords and tenants and stuff like that. And I, I think we're going to have episode two. We're going to have Kenny's back on our show again. And uh, But for today, I think this will be fantastic and very beneficial. Um, so before mm. we, we mm. let Kenny's off, right? So Kenny, do you have any uh, just final advice for buyers and sellers out there today? In 2020, usually what are the, some of the things that you've seen a lot during your past 10 years of experience? Like, you know, some key thing to think, maybe just some takeaway um, for all this. I, I, okay, one of, the, one of the key takeaways for right. me, this, this is perfectly anecdotal, of course. <laughs> um, I, I remember 10 years ago, right. um, at a time I was walking into a show flat right. with my then girlfriend, now wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, we were going in and we're asking, hey, you know, looking around. I, I bought a HDB. So, <laughs> so, right, right. so, um, so, we were asking around and we we're saying, hey, is there anything under a million? Right. You know, from the show flat. Right. So, uh, or around a million. Right. That was 10 years ago. Right. So they were like, uh, sorry, la, don't have. Right, right, <laughs> okay. Right. So now, I mean, fast forward 10 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I think if you go into any show flat and ask, you know, do you have anything that's good, decent size, you know? Three bedroom that's under a million. I, <laughs> I think you might get laughed out of place. So, so, right. so I, I think yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think property investments is still one of those things that are still very much worth doing. Right. Know? And I wish I'd done so earlier, ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's still not too late now. Right. Yeah, I, I think I think uh. Uh, for the fact that we are in Singapore, yeah. I mean, uh, our land is so small, yeah, and population is increasing, and at the same time, right. of course, there's inflation, there's construction costs, and and land prices are increasing right. as well, right? Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so ten years back and today, <laughs> right? Okay, <laughs> great, and uh, yeah, we're we're really uh honored to have Kenneth with us, yeah. So he's he's shared a lot of insights, and uh, I think. Uh, this session uh, have benefited you. So uh, welcome. we welcome you to leave any comments or any questions that you have uh, right down below and then so that we can, when Kenny's come back for a second round, we can actually ask him in person again. So um, thank you so much again. Okay. Yeah, so uh, okay. a, shout, a shout out to uh, everyone. Uh, this is Kenny Singh from BR Law. All right, so we also put down his uh, firm's uh, website down below. You can, you can check out uh, his, his company information and stuff like that. If you need any legal advice, do give him a call to reach out to them. All right, so uh, thank you for watching our okay. Property Brothers podcast and we're right here in our studio and uh, we hope to see you soon on the next episode. <laughs>